Welcome to TNT with Teresa Quinlan and Reese Thomas. We are friends from across the pond on a life evolution. We want to bring you topics that challenge your status quo, guests that help you think differently, and nuggets of wisdom that spark being. Being what? You. Authentic you. Today, we're welcome Cecile Pierre. Cecile currently serves as head of employee experience at Tecada Pharmaceutical and is the founder and principal consultant of her name, Cecile Pierre Consulting. It's a boutique management consultancy focusing on changing the status quo of working. What? Challenge the status quo, (laughs) y'all. So our guest is an active contributor of Forbes, has been published in the Harvard Business Review, HR Zone, UK's HR Magazine, and has contributed to several human resources management books. She started her career as a marketing consultant with Deloitte. And Touche? Touche? How do you say it? It used to be Deloitte and Touche, yeah. (laughs) Back in 1999. (laughs) And since then, she's worked for Honeywell International, Cargo Inc., Microsoft Microsoft Corporation, Novartis AG, as an HR functional leader. Now, the accolades go on and on and on and on. And we've been really (laughs) excited. We're really excited to jump into this conversation. So welcome to TNT. Thank you so much for having me. I am equally excited to be here. Brilliant. (laughs) So in your introduction, there's this, I want to pull out this quote. It's all about having awareness and willingness to learn, the ability to adapt and grow at an individual level, a team level, and an organizational level. Mm -hmm. And so if we could begin this conversation with, how these elements have appeared in your own life, the stories that live behind them, and then how that feeds into the work that then you gift forward into the world. Mm, That's a beautiful question. It's a big question. Let's start somewhere and see where it takes us. Um, Where I may want to start is maybe what's behind my passion, uh, Teresa. And I hope it resonates with people, but um, I've discovered my life mission really to be uh, to create these environments of safety and love for others. And I'll tell you why that is in a second. But um, I had this feeling in my heart as a child. I didn't know how to name it. You know, you just don't have enough of a Um, intelligence and wisdom to be able to actually put it into words but over the years I've discovered that is what it is my mission is exactly that and I'm one of those lucky people to then take that life mission into the workplace and try to create those environments of you know meaning inspiration safety joy you name it for others so they can thrive that's sort of the thread, I think, over the course of my years. And my life mission really speaks to where and the circumstances that I was born into. So I was born into a multicultural, multi-religious family, uh, father's side, well-educated, quite well-off economically, mother's side, farmers, um, different religion, not educated at all. Uh, and so you, you're sort of 
as a child, as you're trying to make sense of the world, you find that there are two extremes and you're trying to find your space and where do I fit? And, and, and also geographically, I was born in Turkey and Turkey is, is, a, is a location, geography is between uh, West and East too. So mm -hmm. there are a lot of Western influences. There are a lot of Eastern influences. So you're constantly looking to sort of find your space. And I think that's sort of, that's been the movement or the push behind me, uh, so to speak, at least spiritually, that's what I think it is. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So two questions come up. Uh, should I choose the easy one or the hard one? Um, I'm going to choose the hard one. Um, so when you said your purpose is to create environments of safety and love, and you gave us that beautiful kind of back shot into where you came from, the different sides, I'm interested to know where those those two things, specifically safety and love, I mean, they go together in, in, in a way, but a lot of people would think that, you know, they're, they're opposite. So is it a case that those things were maybe not as present as you would have liked. And so you have turned that into your life goal as you know, we, we all do in a coaching role or consulting role that we do. We often find what we lack in is, is, is actually what we are compelled and, and um, ordained to, uh, to, to, to help others, others find. Beautiful. It's a beautiful question, actually. I think where I was, Reese was I was in a state of confusion mm -hmm. as a child and I think what I discovered is that I could create that space of safety and almost love in on my own to some degree right it, I, I, I could find despite the circumstances around me so for example my, my mom and dad had marital problems and I witnessed a lot of domestic violence I could still find some level of safety uh, in my own sphere, in my own skin, in the way I chose to see the world. And I think some of those intricacies, again, I couldn't name at the time, but looking back, have allowed me to sort of seek for something better, something different, um, you know, not try to change the circumstances because as a child you can't do that anyway but you try to sort of change shift your perspective your attitude towards what's happening and how you can still thrive in that environment and I think that discovery for me has turned into something that I felt I could potentially help others discover too so I call it actually uh, you know discovering and sort of on tapping and unleashing the potential that you have inside of you. Um, this, this is sort of a process, if you will, and it's a life process. You know, it's not, there's no start or end to it, obviously, but over the years, as I've done work with the organizations, what I discovered is it's exactly the same at an individual level, at a team level, or at an organizational level. You come to places, intersections, interfaces where there may be slight confusion. You are looking to create meaning. If you can lean inside a little bit, ask yourself some of the difficult questions, ask yourself you know, how you can get yourself back on the path. It sort of starts to unleash some things for you. You sort of start touching areas of tension and under that tension, there's often some light. So. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but this is sort yeah. of 
no, the discovery you. process for me. <laughs> you. Yeah. <laughs> Your description there completely resonated with me as a child. I also lived in a home that had a lot of internal turmoil and experiences that were tumultuous and mm -hmm. knew it was necessary to learn how to cultivate inner safety and love from the inside out, because then it always existed, regardless of what was going on around. And frequently, that is called self-awareness. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And Teresa, for me, at least, I realized at a certain age, I think it was maybe around 1920, uh, and I had been away from home for many years. I left Turkey when I was 12 uh, on a scholarship to study abroad. And I think to some degree it was a way out for me too. I just wanted to like get myself out there and see what I can make, make of myself potentially. Anyway, it was a courageous act. I don't know that I could do it now at this age, but I did it then. Um, one of the things I discovered though, then in my early twenties, I didn't have the skills. So yes, I had that light inside of me uh, but I didn't have the self-esteem necessary, for example. I didn't have the self-awareness necessary. And I found myself repeating the same mistakes. Uh, and maybe that's the awakening of awareness for me, because now we know, I know, a brain that's sort of filled with shame or regret cannot learn. Mm -hmm. I, I know that now scientifically speaking and practically speaking, but then I didn't realize all of those experiences had some sort of a scar on me. And I kind of got to a place where I actually had to almost reborn, get, get, get into this place of rebirth again and like take off my clothes like an onion, you know? Mm. And then you go a little bit, you come to that threshold again, you start undressing and et cetera. So <laughs> that's how it goes, I think. <laughs> It's a beautiful analogy, great visual picture of how we evolve step by step by step or remove brick by brick by brick. Yeah, but you said something really important. So around self-awareness, I think everything begins and ends with self for human beings. That's our nature to some degree. Mm -hmm. But I think what's interesting for us, and I genuinely hope everybody at some point or another discovers this for themselves, um, if we can sort of get outside of our head and connect to what I refer to as a bigger intent, which is really poor, pure, and it's, it comes from a place of light and love. It's always there, it's always around us. When we come into contact with this sort of abstract intent, then we actually start to overcome a little bit of the ego and the self-importance. And you start sort of almost like putting up a mirror to yourself and saying, okay, how much of this is really me versus what's happening around me? And what is it that I can do differently that could potentially open up opportunities or doors for me? It, it, that, that point of discovery for me was probably um, one of the biggest learnings of my life to date, uh, I would say, yeah. Okay, so... You mentioned a few things um, uh, that you know, firing off of my spiritual radar. You, you mentioned love and light. You've mentioned. Um, um, <clears throat> you also mentioned about sort of neuroscience, or alluded to it. And then, obviously, we read in your bio that you know you started marketing, but now you became this powerhouse in HR. So I'm wondering, uh, and then the consultancy. So 
how did you thread those sort of things together? Because it's something that I struggle with at the moment, you know, particularly into a corporate world, particularly as a con- in a consulting fashion to, to pick together those, the spiritual stuff, the neuroscience stuff, the self-awareness stuff, and do it in such a way that is acceptable to a corporate organizational development or HR, whichever, whoever you're working with at that time, how, how do you do that? Yeah, that's very interesting. Oh, it's a big, it's a difficult question. It's a good question. Um, I would say, first of all, I mentioned, you know, for human beings, everything starts and ends itself. That's actually part of the truth. So we have three key motivations. One is self, definitely self-interest. But the other key motivation we have is around connection. We are social beings. The key there is we can't be social until we know how to stand on our feet and be alone, be a single individual. I'm not saying individualistic, but be be a straight line on your own before you actually have contact with others. And in the workplace, um, unfortunately, we have adults who come from systemic learning of corrupt um, or perhaps corrupt isn't the right word, but um, we're not we're yeah, not exactly. like yeah that would be a good word to use yeah yeah well it's chaotic it's corrupt it's um unauthentic is, is that a word is inauthentic systems and so we come from for example just to make it more tangible for listeners we come from education systems where we are asked to compete against our classmates on a regular basis and we are being tested and the test result has a meaning and people are stack ranked. And so you come into the workplace and people do as they know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they work in a competitive sort of a state. When they become people leaders, they look to sort of sort people as a performer, non-performer or stack rank their people. They literally do what they have learned And I think a lot of our pain and suffering in the workplace is related to that inauthenticity in a way. Not many of us get to live who they are truly in the workplace, either because they don't have the courage or the self-awareness or they feel like the environment doesn't allow them and definitely the practices doesn't support them. So it's sort of this churn that we find ourselves in. So now, going back to your question around how I have sort of found acceptance, I think um, the first thing I would say is I understand the circumstances and I don't judge. I'm not here to judge. I always say uh, as an HR leader or as a consultant, when I'm in contact with a leader or or a team who is trying to do different, to be different, I may see things that are working for them that are working against them but I'm not here to judge and that's a really critical point because I already accept and give them the space to be and then by the virtue of relating to them from my authentic place and asking questions that are genuinely caring I try to pull them into a different world into a different reality it's a delicate art I won't say they always bite especially when I start talking about some um, 
concepts that may feel spiritual to them, like vitality or thriving, or sometimes I talk about the cultural spirit and the culture concept is, you know, really out there for many leaders anyway. So they, they feel like, okay, this is starting to get really uncomfortable for me, but that's part of the fun. You know, I, I actually find humor in that and say, that's okay. So um, if, 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 you know, vitality is a word that doesn't work for you, let's talk about a time where you really felt on top of a mountain and you're in a flow and doing a good job. What is that for you? And they'll say, it's green. Okay, we'll call it green. I don't care what we call it. That's what we're referring to, you know? So meeting them where they are and really walking the path along with them, not in front, not behind, alongside with them, I think is what made, what's made the difference for me, at least in my path. Mm. I love that, thank you. Oh, that's so good. So yeah. what you said, I know I want to repeat, I was watching Reese's face and I rarely see you in sort of like an awe face, but that is how I would totally describe it as, <laughs> as um, Cecil, you were describing how you go about the work you had said by virtue of relating and caring, we connect mm -hmm. and then we influence or basically you connect with them and then you can influence, which sort of drives maybe us towards the element of how we thrive despite circumstances is directly related to our mindset. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the work you do on mindset is one of my favorite stuff, listening to uh, you speak about it. When, when, we, you, when, when you. you invited me in to speak with Takata and I got to see what you were also presenting on on mindset. I mean, I, I ate up your presentation <laughs> on mindset. Uh, I'm like, oh, this needs to be out in the world. This is fantastic. So could you please share some of your, your thoughts and experiences with mindset? on a couple of levels for you, what it means and how you approach it and then how you integrate it into, you know, helping companies change. Yeah, yeah, thank you for asking. And I'm really touched that you like my work. It's one thing when the people out there says something good about you. It's another when people you consider your friends or close colleagues actually give you a compliment. It touches my heart so much, thank you. You're welcome. Um, so I really believe in attitudes. I believe in mindsets. And I'll tell you the reason why. A lot of us have been taught that a behavior comes about through our thoughts, our thinking. Thinking has a lot of uh, impact on how our behavior develops, but our thinking and our emotions are highly shaped by our attitudes. So, let me give you an example just to make it concrete. Um, let's say you, you know, it's a, it's a full night, you're coming back from work, you got off the bus, you're walking to your home, and it's a little bit dark, you hear a sound behind you. For a behavior to come to life, the first thing is you actually intake the information, that's the sound, so you hear it. So it's the senses that activate first. And then from there, you, you feel something, it's energy moving, you either go up or down. So you'll either feel hot or cold, something will happen. Well, that, well where that sensation transforms in your body. And then depending on your physical situation, your overall well being, emotions will start to run. 
And these are preliminary emotions. You know, you'll either feel excited or you'll feel scared, but then thoughts come to play and you start writing scenarios. Like, is, is someone following me? Is it leaves on the ground? Is it cars rolling? And depending on which, you actually come back to your emotion and land somewhere like, oh my God, I'm scared. And then the behavior comes into life. So there's sort of a information flow back and forth. Between the emotion and the thought comes the mindset. Depending on the attitude you, you carry, you act, we actually has power. We have power to not only shape our thoughts, but also to shape our emotions. Um, and this is why I believe in the power of mindsets, Teresa, because I, scientifically speaking, know they have an impact on how we become in terms of our thought and in terms of our emotion processing. Now, again, if we look at the system, which we said is corrupt, it's kind of corrupt. In the system, there are specific mindsets that we have been sort of beaten by over the years. And scarcity, for example, is a clear mindset across the board. It's also supporting the competition, this idea of there's just not enough in the environment. So two children come to a home, they'll always look for who's getting more attention because the assumption is there is not enough. You come to the workplace, you always wonder if your budget is more than someone else or vice versa. You, the assumption is there's just not enough in the environment. And this sort of mindset then, of course, plays into the kind of scenarios we write and the kind of emotions we find ourselves in. And the thread there is depending on where we land, both for our thinking, but also for our emotional being, we make a dent. Our brains work in the sense that they're always neurotransmitters moving around, but the more you hit the same nerve, the more of a line they make, and you actually start believing what you think is true or what you feel is true. So that's, that's the worry. Anyway, so for mindsets, we, um, a couple of years ago, we had a collaboration with Stanford University and we did a research and we actually studied positive organizations in you know, organizations that carry positive climates. And the kind of mindsets we discovered are actually quite con contrary to the ones that we know to be dominant in the workplace. So for scarcity, for example, we found inside these positive climates, there is more abundance mindset. So people actually play in the space of, um, I believe there is enough in the environment and if not, we can figure it out. So they naturally feel more creative, naturally feel more resourceful. And of course, the kind of scenarios they write and the kind of emotional states they develop have a positive climate impact on others. Um, another one of this, I think is more popular, uh, Carol Dweck's work I think has sort of gone wild and people now know about the fixed mindset versus growth mindset. You know, there is this attitude that you believe people are either um, made right, they're either enough or have certain skills or they don't. And again, in th with this sort of, attitude, if you will, you start to categorize people and you don't give them a chance. And what Carol Dweck, Professor Dweck has discovered is that if you nurture, if you have a different outlook, if you believe that everybody has a talent, they're just different, everybody given the right circumstances will 
turn that seed into a flower. The flower may look different, but hey, in a garden, not all flowers look same and it's a beautiful garden, no matter what. So there are these opposites and actually the, this, this work I really do believe in. I haven't had enough time to sort of sit down and write everything down and maybe even put together a book, but I think it has a lot of power for us to sort of, you know, open our box, unbox, if you will, and look at what's there that's, you know, working for or against us and maybe put some of the things out and start putting some of the new toys in, if, if you will. <laughs> You're here. Exactly. Yeah, it's a good, good, uh, good motif for uh, Christmas time coming up with the presents to unwrap. But um, there's so many amazing things that you just said there in the last five minutes. Um, one of the first things I was like, so you're saying that you have the uh, emotion and then the thought and the mindset goes somewhere in between. Whereas I'm sure many of our listeners would think that maybe the emotion, the thought and the mindset comes afterwards and, and only after lots of crafting and work that you kind of able to shift that into that space in the middle, create that gap, create that witness or whatever you want to call it. And, and that's when the mindset can come in. Um, something that I thought of when you were talking about that, and, and I'm assuming all the work you've done has been in the you know pre-COVID idea era where you're working with people face-to-face, -face, um, you're dealing with this kind of stuff. I'm wondering if everything you just described in a work environment is the same or is very different in a in the virtual kind of uh, remote working kind of situation that we've had, how does how does mindset become more or less important in that mm. altered state? Mm, that's an interesting one. What I'll tell you, Reese, is that um, for Takeda, for example, um, we are a you know pharmaceutical company, and we actually in the last year through an acquisition became one of the top ten in the world. So we went from sort of having 15,000 employees to 55,000 employees. It's a huge scalability if you think about it. And there is no way you can hire or expand that quickly. So we have some leaders who are now in really big jobs and haven't really had the chance to develop in between. We also have some professionals who really feel like they are not uh, in a position to be successful anymore because what we ask of them perhaps in the previous years is much different to what's being required of them or being asked of them today. And all the ways of working, at least looking into the future, really require people to sort of put a mirror up, have a bit more self-awareness around the kind of mindsets they play in, the kind of behaviors they demonstrate and the kind of climate impact they all have. So it's true for us. I'm sure it's true for other companies out there too. This year has been tough for our employees and for me personally too. Um, we just recently did a survey, a well-being survey company-wide to understand how people are doing. And the two aspects that everyone has sort of given feedback on is, is that they feel tired, the mental and emotional, um, sorry, mental and physical capacity is really limited for people. And it makes sense if you think about it, because, you know, maybe in the old days, you were in the office, you walked at least to another room for, for a meeting, um, you sat down with people for coffee. 
same for me today. I started at seven. It's seven thirty p.m. here, and I've been in front of my computer majority of the time. I take a walk every day for forty minutes, and today I did yoga too. But you end up sitting here on a call one after another, and no matter how much you care mm-hmm. mentally and physically, you get tired. That's just the reality. So I think at a systemic level we need definitely a shift. So I would want organizations to feel, to go away from, for example, scarcity mindset and to feel like there is enough in the environment because there is. They don't have to constantly grow, 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 exponentially grow every year. That's the systemic view. But also for individuals, you have put in a good couple of hours of work. It's intended to develop the outcome you wish to have it's a day, call it a day, go for a walk, get rejuvenated, go for a swim, whatever, or play with your children, whatever gives you back energy. So yeah, another mindset that comes to my mind, just because we're going from there is this idea of interconnectedness. You know, I mentioned being an individual is very important, but I said, it's not about individualism, this outlook of, you know, not just looking out for yourself or your team or your family, but understanding there is interconnection. No matter what you do, there's an impact to someone else. So if you're going to overwork yourself, you're not going to have the best impact with your husband or wife. You're not going to have the best face time with your children. Same with your colleagues. When you're going from one meeting to another, you come and you give a feeling of either being rushed or rushing someone, they don't experience you at your best. So what are we doing to one another? Mm-hmm. You see? So all, all these things are really intertwined for me. And I do wish that we would just sort of challenge ourselves a little bit and say, okay, how could, how could a new reality look like? And what would feel right to us? And how could I take a part in that? What would that look for me today? Um, asking some of those, you know, beautiful questions. I think they're beautiful anyway. <laughs> Maybe people won't agree with me. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. And so I've I've just been working on revamping pieces of a 30-day challenge that I run. And one of the things that we talk about it is interpersonal relationships and that that impact to your well-being. And something that I came across in the process was a quote from the 14th Dalai Lama. And it is around this element of humans are social beings. We come into the world as a result of other people's actions. And we survive here in dependence on other people, whether we like it or not. There's really hardly a moment of our lives when we don't benefit from other people's activities. And so for this reason, it's really surprising that most of our happiness arises in the context of our relationships with other people. So if I am in day in and day out navigating eight, 10 hours of my day in front of a computer screen, even though I might have a virtual meeting with someone, the the context, the texture is lacking because we're in a one dimensional space, basically, right? That's exactly right. And I had leaders challenge me recently to say, I don't think I need, you know, other communities or, you know, from a business perspective, we don't need other partners or providers. And I often ask them this year, 
How did you get your food when we had a lockdown? It's a simple question. And a lot of them said they had Coop deliver. Coop is like a you know supermarket here. Um, well, who does that for you? I don't know, somebody. You see, you somebody has to work for you to actually feed you and your family. Don't tell me you're not connected. What if everything came to a full stop? Then you would really understand how much dependencies you have. So it may feel to us that we don't know those people and therefore we don't have an interdependency, but the system is not set up like that. It never was from the very beginning. That's why we say we are social animals because we do rely on each other for our best, for our survival. Yeah, so what you said completely resonates with me, Teresa. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the Dalai Lama. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's give yeah, credit that, that really does resonate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, yeah. All right, so, That's uh, really funny. I feel like we could carry on talking about this for, for a long time, but I'm conscious that we're running towards the end of the time. So let's do our hashtag not anymore, wrap it up, try and leave you with a kind of, leave our audience with a, a golden nugget, something they can think about to, um, to do and be and, and think differently so we've talked a lot about self we've talked a lot about self-awareness and then you talked about interdependence you talked about these different things where you go into an organization and it's about an awareness or the interpersonal relationships it's you know we start with self-awareness but really we're training ourselves to also be much more aware of what the, all the surroundings are especially mm -hmm. in a consulting business world it doesn't need to be consult any kind of job you, you know if if you can uh, engineer that kind of skill then you're going to be I don't know you're going to be happier you're going to be more fulfilled you're going to make the people around you have that same kind of in, impact so maybe is there something about awareness itself rather than self-awareness is there something within those three topics there that you can another beautiful golden nugget that you would like to share you, you've done so much is there something else you'd like to tell or, or whatever else is on your heart if you want to there's something that you would like to finish with doesn't have to be what I'm dictating. Yeah, um, maybe two things that come to my heart Ooh. because we talk so much about self-awareness. Mm. Um, I wanna encourage people that this is not about dismissing parts of us. It's mm. a lot about integration. All of us have positive and negative mindsets. All of us have behaviors that are productive and detrimental. We all have stress behaviors, you know, think, so there's, there's lightness and there's shadow sides, if you will, to our being, all of us do. And for me, self-awareness is really about uh, understanding um, the possibilities within us and being choiceful around where we potentially want to play. I think we, again, another word that we misunderstand, we think wisdom is about collecting information. Like a lot of the times when I watch some podcasts and things, they say, oh, you know, this person is so wise. And what I hear is they're actually repeating information that's available on, on the internet. I think wisdom is really about experience and that experience of being able to hold it together. Because unless we do that for us, we can't create spaces of safety for others. If we judge ourselves, if we try to sort of put things on the side, how are we going to accept someone as a whole? It's not possible. So for me, this is probably the biggest thing 
And for your hashtag, I don't know, like, I, I don't want to say no fear, but I'd love to, <laughs> I'd love to encourage people to live um, a life where fear is not dominating. Um, and with that, hopefully they will find themselves in a more creative, more responsive space versus a reactive space. And, and again, they can gain more self-awareness. Maybe those, those would be my last words. Okay. So many there. Yeah, I mean, uh, the self-compassion that you're kind of alluding to there is something that we often come back to on this, on this, episode, on this program. Um, and that, you know, that piece of not judging yourself, you know, whatever comes up, whether it's you know, more positive or negative and not trying to, you know, self-recriminate or, you know, dive down into some kind of uh, area of you know self-recrimination but um okay you've given us so much to uh, to enjoy here i know everyone's going to want to know how to find out more how to get in touch with you how can they do that where can they find out more about you thank you i i think linkedin is probably the best place chris mm -hmm. um we have a twitter account and on our website on Cecilia Consulting, there is a contact form that comes to the team. So I'm pretty discoverable, but LinkedIn is probably one of the best places to get in contact with me. And though we do have someone sort of looking over messages, I really try to read everything and where appropriate, I try to get back to people, so. Fantastic. All right, so we always like to um, finish up with our rapid fire Q&A, um, five questions. Uh, Bit of fun, no pressure. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number one, which emotion catches you off guard most often? Anger. Okay. And what do you do to regulate that emotion in the moment? Oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I usually walk away from my desk. <laughs> um, if I'm typing an email, I just walk away. Uh, and if I'm talking to my husband because I'm chopping something and he's making me angry, I just go to the bathroom. <laughs> you know, I just walk away to get some fresh air. <laughs> Time and distance. <laughs> exactly. The knife down. Okay, number three. What's next in your personal evolution? I know this has been a big year for you. This could be an interesting question. Mm, that's an interesting one. Every year I pick a theme. This year was presence. I give myself 85 or so, over 100, so I've, I've done pretty well. Um, I think next year will be a different team. I don't know what it will be. I think maybe it will be uh, slowing down or controlling my pace somehow. It will be related to pace, like finding better balance mm -hmm. around that would be, would be good for me. Mm. Awesome. I love that. Quick sidebar. How do you come up with that theme? What do you just sit and meditate on it for something and then <laughs> I think through the where, year where I fall the most you know where I fall short the most I kind of say okay there's something here for me to learn um yeah. what can I adapt potentially so last year um I was traveling all over the place and my team was constantly looking for the right time to actually talk to me and every time we sat down, I saw in their eyes this level of empathy. And I felt really terrible. I, I, I felt like I'm not here enough to give them back. They shouldn't have this look on their eyes. And 
that was my mirror. <laughs> so I said to myself, no matter what I do, if I do less, that's okay, but I'm going to be there 100% with people. And so, Beautiful. Yeah. Okay, back to the script. Number four, when your best friend is having a meltdown, what do you say to them? Oh, get a life. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> right to it. A dose of reality right in their face. <laughs> you know, my best friend and I go back to three years. Um, so our parents were friends and since then it's been 40 years together and we have such different lives. I mean, she's an entrepreneur, independently wealthy, smokes pot all the time. I couldn't be more structured than an opposite. So when she does have a meltdown, I usually do say, oh, come on. But really at the end of the, at the end of those tough conversations, most of the time, what I say is, I love you. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Nice uh, cyclical back to that, you know, safety and, 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 and love in the environment. Um, all right, last one. Uh, in this moment, what are you most looking forward to or most hopeful for? Uh, oh, that's a big question. I think what I'm really hopeful for is to see my family in the new year because I haven't been home to Turkey since January. So I haven't seen my mom. And this is sort of a private thing, I guess, but I will say it anyways. Um, I had it in my heart to always purchase a small apartment for my mom. My mom has nothing, right? Like she, she's one of those angels that makes it by in life. People take care of her. She has a husband, not, you know, she has children, etc. And I'm actually looking, looking at something that may be a possibility. So I think, I don't know, I will die in more peace when I know my mom has a place to go if, she, if her heart desires to be alone somewhere. So that's something that does give me hope. Yeah. That wow. so that's probably one of the best answers we've had. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you so much. That you've, you've given so much of your definite wisdom, not, not knowledge that you've acquired and regurgitated wisdom um, and coming from your heart and you, you know, you've been, very accommodating you've been very vulnerable and we appreciate that so much and i'm sure our listeners do so thank you so much for, for joining us today thank you for having me it was really fun and i do love you guys oh, doing the great work that you're doing <laughs> thank you so much the the generosity that's what came out for me in your shares was the generosity of all of your experiences and all of what, like, you could feel it when you were speaking, yeah. that it just, it permeates from in to out, like, almost like you can't get it out fast enough for people to, to be able to absorb and hear and, oh, please just let it impact one person, half a person, then that's, then that's good. And if it doesn't, that's okay. Next room and let it come out of me again. And next, next, next. Incredible. Thank you so much. And, yeah. and it was the purity that I thought from everything you said, that's what came through to me. You know, some people know the right things to say or the right things to behave and then maybe pretend to do it. Or some people do it because they, they know it's the right thing. So they, they do it, but it just felt like it was just innate and it was just coming through and it was, you, you couldn't not do it. And, and it's, it's really obvious. And thank you so much. 
I think I'm gonna have to go for a run now just to get like the excitement <laughs> and the energy out of me before I can sleep. Thank you guys, really. That's very touching. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of TNT. Please share, subscribe, rate, and review. And when you're ready for your personal evolution, check out Reese at trueselfcoaching.com. And for your emotional intelligence revolution, check out Teresa at iqeqtq.com.